Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, as you just heard, Amazon volatile after hours despite an earnings beat moments ago. The tech giant's guidance coming in light, which is putting some pressure on the stock. We're waiting that conference call kicking off in about 30 minutes time. Our earnings team is standing by uh, to get you all the headlines as they break. Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster is in Minneapolis. Deirdre Bosa is in San Francisco. We will check in with them later. But we start with the markets, the S&P 500 having its best January since 1987. As stocks snap back from the December lows, we've got a market-friendly Fed, a trade deal potentially in the works, and earnings overall. They've been pretty good. So is this next stop new highs? Do you trust this bounce, guys? Well, I haven't trusted it for the last probably 175 or so S&P points. However, I know I don't trust it. Now, I know President Trump just talked about his great relationship with President Xi and how they're going to work forward and things are going to get done. I get it. But let me just say this quickly. All we've done in the month of January is basically recoup what we lost in December. So we're, we're basically even from November. Good, bad, doesn't matter. That's where we are. 2710, I mentioned, because I was on your show Power Lunch a while back mm. when the market was going the other way, down. And I said this 2710 level is critical. And it proved to be correct. So what was support on the way down should be resistance on the way up. And we're here right now. Again, I've been wrong for quite some time. I am shocked that the market's here. But you have to ask yourself the following question. Will the longest bull market effectively on history will be followed by the shortest bear market in our history? And I just find that hard to believe. But still, I mean, we do have President Trump saying that he's going to meet with President Xi, that there is no need for an extension of the March 1st deadline for tariffs, Karen. And that seems like a the most positive step forward in these trade negotiations that we've seen. Yes, I'm kind of surprised that he said that. I mean, we were talking about this a little bit before the show. He could always walk it back if they're making good progress and March 1st comes and they still haven't been able to wrap it up. I have felt for a long time that a trade deal is the most important thing for this market to get back on track. And as we seem to be making progress, to me, is more important than the Fed. So, I mean, a lot of good things happened. Yes, between yesterday and today, you had some good earnings as well. But still, I think that... It reminds me when last year they had a tax deal looked like they could never get it done. And then they started to be able to really make progress. And then the market rallied really hard into the tax deal and after the tax deal for a couple of months mm-hmm. until we hit that very difficult market at the beginning of last year. I think there's still room to run if they get a trade deal. But some stocks <coughs> have run too far already, right? So if you had crappy earnings, even though your stock was... If you had crappy, if your earnings weren't good enough, your stock is not going to be supported here. So a couple different things to say. First of all, it feels a little eerie. This is almost exactly where we were a year ago, right? We had a blow-off top on Jan 26. Uh, everybody said, then it got, as it got volatile, people said, you know what? First half of the year is going to be really choppy, and then actually I believe that by the end of the year we're going to figure this out. We're going to go to all-time highs. None of that happened, right? Everybody said uh, what's going to happen here is we're going to retest the lows. So as we've looked over the last few weeks, the real pain trade has absolutely been to the upside here, folks. And, and if you saw the, and I looked at the spiders, and I looked at them three weeks ago, we really hadn't seen the kind of short covering that would have at least told you we were at that place. This has been a V-shaped recovery, and the reason for it is simply the Fed. Uh, And the Fed is arguably, at least for the short run, the reason why I think the markets have less volatility. I don't think that earnings can support us getting to new highs. I don't think that actually stock markets uh, are, are well set up for the second half of the year. But I do think with the Fed 
basically now, can they reverse course again? Boy, that would be disastrous. They've arguably already lost credibility by responding to financial conditions in the stock market. They cannot do it again. And I think for now, markets stay where they are. So uh, we have the best January since when? How long has it 87. been? 87. Okay, you know what? Last what January was the best January since when? Uh, 87. You know, and, and I guess I think it was really important to remember here, I think what Guy just said, you know, when, when the S&P 500 broke 2600 in December, it went straight down to 2350. And so now we're here at 2700, 100 points above a level that the S&P had bounced off on numerous occasions last year. And I, I just got to tell you, you know, you talk about a scenario where we have the 10-year Treasury yield back at 264, 265 or something like that. That is just not bullish to me. I know that a lot of people want to make the case for lower yields. A more dovish Fed right now is really great for equities. I think when you consider where we are in this cycle, you consider that the Fed had to lay off. They just had to lay off. Look at that chart right there. That's the 20-year chart um, You know, of the 10-year. It really got rejected, obviously, at the long-term downtrend. So to me, I just kind of feel like you know, if you go look at those past spots, where it hit that downtrend, the stock market topped every single time and it dropped 50%. I'm not saying that's going to happen again, but the likelihood of new highs in 2019, I think, are slim to none. So the Fed basically stepping to the sidelines for now, in your view, is a bad thing. Horrible. In your view, it's a bad thing. I'm not happy that the Fed has stepped away from a mandate that I think they have to fulfill. I think for stock markets right now, I just want to point out what was bothering stock markets was the Fed and mostly the Fed. So that's to the side. It's not what I want, Mel. I, okay, as right. a trader or, or as an investor, I think in the short to medium term, I'm talking one to two months, I think lack of Fed means markets can be constructed. Okay, lack of Fed yeah, means markets are constructed. I, I agree with Tim. Yes, okay. lack of Fed gives one less. So, so this week over. we've seen some pretty no, big huge. changes, Without right? But doesn't January discount a whole heck of a lot? What it's no different than the January setup with the taxes that you just mentioned I last don't agree. year. I don't agree. Really? Because, because, well, let me finish. Because last year, the January was after a very, very strong year before, right? The market was up huge from election night through the end of the, at the, end of the year. We're not coming off of that. We all, so we have had a real change, the tax rule, and we've had a market that is actually flat where earnings are much higher than they were. Well, they're not much higher, and they're considered to be up maybe mid-single Well, but they're falling. No, if you think they are what, falling. Yeah, the okay. growth rate is, is... The growth rate is... But if you look at the actual earnings, the earnings are higher. The earnings in some cases okay, are significantly you know, so higher. Karen, I don't mean to give you that exasperated sound here, but like, so, you know, we but got the will. Fed out of the way, and then. <laughs> it's like breathing. And then, for and you. then it is going to breathe. And then maybe we get some kind of deal on trade, but it's not going to be that comprehensive deal. And then maybe some other things kind of, you oh, know, kind of. Kind of. What's great? So then don't you think with the SP 500 up 8% on January 31st, we've kind of front loaded some stuff. And if you think for a second that the stock market is not going to be lower than it where it is right now at some point in this year meaningfully lower you're crazy it just doesn't well, work okay that way. that's sort of that's kind of a ridiculous wow. thing to say no. that, I, what I, are the I, chances I, that it's lower on one day this year than it is today considerably lower considerably lower that's possible nice okay but I, you know look look at the camera Karen, ultimately care about i okay i'm speaking right to you dan i'd agree with you but then we'd both be wrong right i don't want to do that <laughs> if we look at the, if we look at fundamentals which is what i really look at dan look right, at the camera companies are earning more their multiples are in some cases actually even lower not all cases. See, the problem is the market isn't a monolith. You could have some things that go up and some things that go down. So when that happens, I'm, of course, going right. so, so, so to, so to point so to the ones that go up, and you're going to point to the ones that go down. So what we've learned in the last couple of months is that markets can turn on a dime. We've learned that. Yes, uh, absolutely. Learned that. So, absolutely. So let me tell you what doesn't turn on a dime. Yeah. Economies don't 
turn on a dime. The global economy doesn't turn on a dime. So when you consider what we have facing us for the balance of this year, I think there's going to be a tremendous lag. Even if we get some of this sort of stimulus that you think is going to be positive for U.S. corporate earnings. I mean, I just so feel So you like don't think a trade deal is positive for corporate earnings? I think it is, but I think that a lot of the enthusiasm, the overshot that we are seeing right now in the last couple of weeks... It's because of an anticipation of a because, trade of deal? No, it's not. It's no. the Fed. Well, no, 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 no. Fed. Uh, it's the Fed. all wrapped the Fed's up out of the market. Of course, guys, but I mean, like, so... It's just not gonna. It's not gonna have the punch. I think when the when the deal finally comes, that's kind of my point. It's being incorporated. Look, I can appreciate the that. Maybe at right some now. point that may be right as we get closer and closer. I don't think it currently that we're there. Okay. Quickly, and <laughs> let's Karen, Karen's points are correct. Aliens. Better than Except mine. That, no, no, not oh, better. Just, yeah. just correct. Like, I think she would agree as well, though, that a lion's share of those earnings beats are predicated on ridiculous Lord. stock buybacks as well, oh, which is mm-hmm. fine. I mean, stocks go higher in the back. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's I think probably, it's that's probably it's 40% of the S&P earnings growth projection is probably coming from buybacks, yeah. about 2%. And how is that different from past years? Well, I mean, buybacks I, have been a tremendous force in markets for quite some time. I, I think in the past couple of years, first of all, earnings themselves have been, been better than 5%, which is where they're projected to now. By the way, at this point of earnings season, we've pulled back on S&P uh, expectations by about 2% overall. So in other words, we're at 7%. We're somewhere around 5 um, in, in, in absolute terms, we've pulled back 2%. So um, I, I think that S&P earnings had a better delta of growth. I think this is what at least your point was, Karen, and maybe it's not as good this year, but they're still growing. Uh, and, and I would make an argument that at least uh, the, the, the swiftness and the breadth of some of these revisions we've seen to the downside is not reason to run for the hills, but it's concerning. And, and I do think that a lot of the quality of earnings was a function of either lower effective tax rates, which I largely think is a one-off event that's, that then becomes priced in, and that actually we did have a global recovery, which is very much in question, and I agree with that, Dan. But right now, U.S. stocks are not expected. Yeah, but so this is really important. Last okay, word. so every time that we've had a recession over the last 15 years, it's emanated from the U.S., okay? And strategists after strategists come on and say that's the only way that we will see a sort of recession in the U.S. It has to start from here. We don't have those conditions. I'll tell you this. I read this on Bloomberg this morning. Out of 2,400 mainland-listed China companies, almost 400 of them have pre-announced or announced mm-hmm. disappointing earnings, earnings, you know, declines. And these are companies that were profitable in 2017. It's kind of my belief here that this is not going to emanate from the U.S. It's going to be a global growth slowdown that is in place. And, and we have strategists after strategists tell us about Europe they're worried about, Asia they're worried about, China in particular. So to me, I just think that we're putting lipstick on a pig here if we get a deal on March 1st oh. for trade. All right. Hey. Despite <laughs> the January surge, the S&P 500 is still down nearly 8% from its September highs. Bernexka says the bottom is near. Let's go off the charts as Rob Schleimer of Fundstruck Global Advisors. Rob, what are you looking at? Great. Thanks, Melissa. So the traders just highlighted the dilemma that everybody's looking at, right? The market has pulled all the way, rallied all the way back into this massive resistance level. It's about a 50 to 60 percent retracement of the decline we had in the back half of the year. But I think the setup is very different from what we saw in the beginning of 2018. Think about this. When we came into the beginning of 18, the market was at a high, and as Karen had pointed out, it had a pretty good run into those highs. Sentiment was really high. And one of the more important parts we haven't discussed yet is that the dollar was high, or sorry, the dollar was starting to bottom. So we look at the setup now, we have the dollar relatively high and beginning to roll over. We have the S&P pulling right back to the 200-week, and while that's just a, 
uh, purple line on the chart. It's really important from a technical standpoint. We got to those December 24th lows. It was around 23.46, 23.48. That was exactly, exactly at the 200-week, not dissimilar to what we saw at the 2016 lows and somewhat similar to what we saw at the 2011 lows. And more importantly, if you look back at the bull markets in the 1980s and 90s, and the bull market in the 1950s and 60s, that 200-week provided long-term structural support for these cyclical pullbacks. So what I think we just saw, and particularly as you start peeling the onion and look at a lot of stocks, we just saw a cyclical correction, very consistent with what looks to be, a, on average, a four-year cycle. Every three to four years, we put in a major low. To be honest, I thought this low was going to happen in the back half of 2019. We put a low in 2020. I got it wrong. But it's now responding to a level that I think is really important. So let's take a look at a couple of stocks. We've talked about these before. The semiconductors to me are really critical because they began to peak at the end of 17, beginning of 18. We saw this relative strength beginning to erode early in 18. And it was a really a heads up that part of the market or part of the cyclical side of the, the economy was starting to roll over. But once again, like we saw in 2016, we're getting this rebound off that 200 week. And more importantly, when you look at the relative strength, we had these divergences coming into the end of the year between October, November, and December. Stocks made marginal new price lows, but the relative strength didn't. Now, fair enough. The stock's up about 30% since there. It's probably not the most timely, fast trade right here. But I do think what we're seeing, and we're going to see this in stock after stock, are these cyclical stocks discounting something quite horrible, bottoming at their long-term structural uptrend. And I think that's a cyclical low. We can say the same thing about the uh, home builders. It's not perfect, but there's a lot of concern about the home builders rolling over. Well, we had that peak beginning of the year. We have the bottom off the 200 week, and it's come all the way back, this huge level of support, and this relative strength is beginning to improve. So I think it's just another example. We could go through industrials, materials, even the financials, while they're weak, and we can see that in the next chart, they're weak, but they've pulled back to their 200 week <coughs> moving average. And again, we think that's support. So what's the pattern out of this? It wouldn't surprise me that we see something fairly similar to, similar to what we saw in 2016. It's going to take some time for these financials to actually get going. The relative strength is still weak. It really hasn't confirmed a turn. But I do think if you look through the majority of cyclical stocks in the market, many of them have bottomed at the 200-week. We think that's a cycle low. Any sort of near-term weakness we want to be buying, we think there's more upside over the next two to three years. Okay, so let's be clear about this, Rob, then. If I'm sitting at home and I'm, I'm a buyer, or I, I, would, I would participate in the markets through an S&P 500 ETF. Correct. You would, buy, you would recommend buying right now. I think if you have an investment horizon beyond the next two to three to four weeks, uh -huh. uh, I think there is a... Whatever weakness we see is going to be very short term. Again, I think the dollar setup, I think the market setup, the sentiment setup is very different from the beginning of 2018. I think investors should be adding some cyclicality to their portfolio. Okay, Rob, great to see you. Thanks so much. Rob Thank Slimer of Fundstrat. Do you like any of Rob's hey, uh, Matt, charts here? It's interesting. Here? I think RBC just upgraded the stock, put a $45 price target on it. It's been in a pretty significant downtrend since April, but right here we're on the verge of breaking out. So I think they report on February 13th. I think for a shot for a trade, Amet's pretty interesting. Look, the technical guys are here. We're talking about key levels. I, I, I have to agree in the short run, though, what Dan's talking about. Look, you can make an argument that 2750 is really the level on the S&P. You can make an argument at 98 on the SMH. I want to talk about semis. They've recovered 20% off the lows, and there's still a downtrend they have to get through. 
I will talk about emerging markets because they started this. And the EEM is now above the 200-day on the upside for the first time. It's trading through it to the upside for the first time since December of 2016. So a lot has changed in that part of the world that was nasty, despite those stories in, in China, Dan. All right, we've got a news alert here on Apple. Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco for the details. Josh. Now, we have drama here in Silicon Valley. It looks like Apple has now revoked Google's enterprise developer certificates in retaliation for an app that violated its policy. What does that move mean? Well, it actually would mean um, that Google would be prevented, um, Google employees would be prevented from testing iPhone apps. It would also prevent them from using certain um, internal apps. Google spokesperson telling CNBC, we're working with Apple to fix a temporary disruption to some of our corporate iOS apps, which we expect will be resolved soon. Um, you recall Apple did the same thing to Facebook um, after it was revealed. Of course, you guys talked about this. The company had been um, secretly distributing this Facebook research app to, to, col- to collect data. Now, Google was operating this similar program, and the company actually apologized. Remember, yesterday they called that action a mistake, but that apparently is not good enough for Apple, which is bringing down the hammer here. I did reach out to Apple for comment. I'll bring you that uh, statement if and when. I get it, though. You mentioned that this is drama, Josh. So do you think that this is fueled by rivalry? Well, it's because a couple things. I mean, what's interesting is it would certainly, you would think, for these companies potentially create headaches. Um, but you could also see how it would um, create more um, important disruption. I mean, you would see how it, it could, of course, limit access to early um, early builds of apps, you know, different beta versions they'd be maybe working on. So not potentially not just a headache here. Okay, Josh, thank you. Keep us updated. Josh, Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Um, I believe we want to check in with Gene Munster of Loop Ventures, our, our fast money friend who's in Minneapolis today, unfortunately not here at the NASDAQ as he was for the past two days. But what do you make of this, this move, Gene? Well, Apple is showing that they clearly have the upper hand, Mel. And at the end of the day, that's what Facebook, they did to Facebook, obviously, that's like Josh said. I think this really shows when you debate about who really has the strength in tech, whether it's the developers or the hardware, I think that this whole episode really emphasizes Apple's strong point. So I would say score one for Tim Cook. All right. Well, we'll see you a little bit later, Gene, on Amazon. In the meantime, Dan, yeah, you know, what's it's your interesting. Take? Uh, it was revealed last year that Google paid uh, Apple $9 billion to keep um, Google as the default search engine on Safari, right? So it just kind of shows you the power. This is what Gene has. And they're going to maybe pay $12 billion. A- Apple can do what they want on this sort of stuff because Google really needs to be there on uh, the iOS platform. All right. Coming up, Amazon lower after uh, failing to deliver on its earnings report. The conference call stick- uh, kicking off in the next 20 minutes. We'll tell you the most important thing to watch for. Plus, Check out shares of General Electric, the stock, going parabolic today after its earnings, despite what many predicted would be a disaster for the industrial giant. We'll tell you what Wall Street missed. And later, pot stock canopy growth is on fire. It is nearly doubled in the month of January as the cannabis craze is reignited. CEO Bruce Linton will be here to tell us what he thinks has been a game changer for cannabis. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. General Electric topping the tape today. Shares surging after beating revenue expectations. The industrial giant was up as much as 18% today, breaking above the $10 mark for the first time since Halloween. Shareholders giddy as the company settled with the Justice Department. Plus, CEO Larry Culp says it will sell more than half of its health units. So, Tim, in the clear? 
Well, I tell you what, the, the most important thing is probably the cash generation in the quarter. People want to see that this company is actually able to support itself. I, I would still argue that if GE came out and just said, you know, we're going to raise $5 billion or $10 billion at the most just to, to give ourselves a cushion, the market would reward that. But the DOJ settlement's nice. Um, I think the fact of the matter is organic growth on the industrial side was actually 8%. Street was expecting 5 Hey, look, I mean, things are happening faster. The balance sheet may not be as impaired as we thought. If they can generate cash flow, they actually can truly be valued on a sum of the parts. We need clarity. Um, GE, remember, I think the sellers are gone largely out of this name and hmm. good news is good news value there karen yeah i think potentially it's really hard to know i think there was a lack of any bombshells which is seen as a huge positive now that's right. how that's how far ge has come you know the d the goj settlement was great i think we didn't see any more enormous long-term care write-offs that would have been bad so they're doing the right thing. I, I've played it through uh, leaps of 2020. I just want to give it time to work. I think it will, but I'm not certain. So owning the leaps lets me know exactly how much I can risk. But this is a positive. And to Tim's point, if they do need to issue equity, obviously the higher the equity goes, the better it is for them, sure. right? Uh, also, they're seen as a better credit, but they would also be able to issue equity higher, which I don't think is going to be happening in the short I term. I mean, Culp also said on the conference call that he would provide an outlook sometime soon. Sometime. Not today, <laughs> which yeah, would make yeah. me a little nervous. The bar's low, and you can get away with that. Yeah, but yeah, the true. move of the yeah. stock, man, yeah. it's been extraordinary. And you've been on it, and Steve Grosso's been on it. They want to shore up the power business. That's great. I want to win Powerball tonight. Probably not going to happen. That's okay. <laughs> Maybe they'll be able to do that. But I'll say this: I'm waiting. So J.P. Morgan, Steve Tuss, I think is his name. Yes. He's been the axe in this space. He made comments, I believe, on the 29th. I would anticipate him making comments again in the wake of this quarter, and my sense is he will reiterate his negative stance. So I think if you've enjoyed this run to the upside, it might have a little more, but I think it's headed back down. All right. Well, GE may be soaring, but one trader is not buying the hype, betting nearly a million dollars that GE is set to fall in the next month. So, Dan, what are you seeing? Yeah, so the next couple of months, you know, um, options volume was off the charts today. Obviously, the stock had a huge, huge gap higher after this recent consolidation. Four times average daily volume, the largest trade on the day, shortly before noon when the stock was trading just near 1050 was an opening buy of 90,000 in the March 9-8 put spreads, paying $0.09 cents for those. That's $810,000 in premium, and that breaks even down 15% at 891 on March um, expiration here. Um, you know, here's the thing. Look at that chart. These guys talked about this gap here. There's obviously a lot of overhead resistance. I will mention the fact, though, the stock did close 6% off its highs, okay? So it had uh, a good morning, and then it closed off the highs. Look at the 20-year. You know, when I see trades like this where someone's trying to kind of pick a spot to the downside after a big run. Maybe it's a hedge against an existing position. You're really risking $0.09 cents to maybe make up to $0.91 cents if the stock is down at 8 on March expiration, sorry, in about a month and a half. And the options market is saying there's only about a 10% probability of that happening. So it's dollar-cheap protection or a dollar-cheap directional bet um, without a high probability. All right, for more options action, check out the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Let's get a check on Amazon as we head to break. That stock is uh, sitting at after hours close to session lows right now, down almost a percent. We'll bring you the very latest in the quarter. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. <laughs> the deep freeze putting most of America on ice. But the traders think the cold weather could heat up a number of stocks. They will tell you the names. And speaking of heating up, it's been a hot month for the pot stocks. And one of the leaders has nearly doubled in January. 
the CEO of Canopy Growth, will be here to talk about the reignited cannabis craze. There's much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're watching Amazon in the after-hour session. The earnings call starts just a couple minutes. Uh, let's get to Deidre Bosa in San Francisco uh, with what to expect from the call. Deidre. Well, Melissa, that light Q and guidance is what investors are really focusing on. So expect questions on what was behind it. Now, I did hear from CFO Brian Osalski ahead of the earnings call. He pointed to India. He said that guidance incorporates new regulations there that would hurt its e-commerce sales. Remember, guys, Amazon has put a lot of money into the country. So analysts are going to want to know if these rules change its strategy there. Another few numbers that are likely to raise some questions on the call, physical store sales and subscription revenue. Growth was lower sequentially. And while there are some caveats analysts may press him. Lastly, don't be surprised if there's a question on Jeff Bezos's ownership and whether he plans to sell any shares, of course, in reference to his divorce. But don't expect much of a response. Someone already tried and Olsofsky answered by saying that there was nothing to share. Analysts, though, may still ask it is an uncertainty hanging over the company. Melissa. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa in San Francisco for more on Amazon. Let's bring in Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster in Minneapolis. So, Gene, what are you listening for in, in the commentary about India? is interesting, and I understand that this could be a headwind, but it certainly doesn't account for, I would imagine, uh, for, you know, potentially $4 billion in shortfall between the lowest end of the range for first quarter revenue guidance and what analysts were expecting. Melissa, it might. I think that that's really? been obviously okay. a pain point for a lot of companies. So I think you know, it's really 1.5% because they typically do the high end of the range. So I think that that probably does account for it. Oh, so it could be all India in that $4 billion potential miss, depending on how you want to look exactly. at, at the guidance. versus. What are you going to be listening for in the call then? Profitability. Prime growth is going to slow. That really accounts for, call it, 50% of their profitability. So we're going to be focusing on that. And the second is what they're going to do in retail stores. That's going to be a big push for the company. I know it was down 3%, but the overall retail opportunity is huge for Amazon. So we look for pieces on that. And then the last piece, just in terms of how they're going to compete with Facebook, that's obviously a growing concern based on the Facebook call last night. In terms of the same store sales, the slight decline that we saw, I mean, is that all Whole Foods or does it also include their efforts in their own retail footprint? Probably all Whole Foods. They have, call it, 550 Whole Foods stores. There's only 100 other stores, which really include the, uh, uh, the Go stores. There's just a handful of those. They have also these uh, five-star or four-star stores and also um, uh, these pop-up stores. So, Melissa, those are really too small to really impact the overall number. The key is that Whole Foods was uh, clearly a problem in the quarter, and I think that uh, that doesn't change the bigger picture here, which is pretty simple, is that traditional brick-and-mortar is critical to the Amazon store. I think that largely gets lost. And uh, for them to continue to grow at this, call it 14% pace, they need to actually do more in traditional brick and mortar. And so I think that's going to be a key focus. Most analysts might not pick up on the call tonight, but I think as we move forward, we're going to hear more about that. All right, Gene, we'll let you jump on the call. It gets underway right about now. We'll check in with you a little bit later on. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. So Facebook and Netflix surge after earnings report. The Nasdaq just had its best month since 2011. So where's Amazon at this point? It's down eight-tenths of percent in the after-hour session. Well, listen, this is the second consecutive quarter. They've guided their sales down about 5%. And the fact that the stock is only down a couple percent right now, I think is actually pretty impressive. I thought um, if there was any commensurate 
downshift or deceleration in operating margins, then I think the stock would be down um, a lot. But, you know, right now, consensus is calling for 20 percent revenue growth in 2019. That's down from 31 percent last year. So maybe expectations for revenue deceleration are kind of worked into the stock here. And it's had a big bounce. Like if they had announced this right coming the day after Facebook puts up huge numbers, I think makes it a lot harder to what do people want with Amazon? You know, do you want growth? Do you want profitability? I mean, if it was a couple of years ago, it was even a year ago, you said, hey, I want to see them turn the lever and, and become more profitable. Third record profit quarter. Um, that, to me, is something that's very impressive. I like to see the fact that they can actually make this business more profitable. It's also nice to see that AWS, um, which is, again, slowing growth, but, again, it, it's, it's 10% of their revenue stream, but it's probably 25 to 28% of, of their profitability, and I think that remains so. So I'm actually, look, I think Amazon is growing into a valuation that, for a guy like me, is difficult, but relative to themselves, uh, bravo. The fact the stock's going from thirteen fifty to seventeen and a quarter or so, it based effectively in a straight line over the last month or so, and the stock's not down more than it is to Dan's point. I think it's encouraging. The number I come away with, and you mentioned it, operating margins are now five point three percent. Street was looking, I think, for five point one percent. They continue to move up the ladder on operating margins. That's very encouraging. And the retail stores was, I think, they missed by about. 300 million or so that was offset, not that it matters, but there was an offset to that yeah. in online stores. So it zeroes itself out. So I don't look at that as that big of a deal. It's interesting that uh, Gene spent so much time talking about retail, bricks and mortars, and yeah. then also talking about geographic. I mean, in, you know, I think Deirdre said it. They've spent a lot of money trying to get into a market India. like uh, India. And, you know, so if, if they can actually explain away that that two, two and a half billion dollar shortfall that they're calling for is this short term hiccup. These are investments in, in, a, in a market. Which how many people, a billion and three people or something like that in right. emerging. It's the China story 15 years ago. That's India. I mean, right for now. Gene to say that that potential shortfall, I mean, if you look at the bottom end, of the range versus analyst consensus could be all India. Uh, you know, I, I would imagine the stock would turn around in the after hour session if, if it were really that case. We're not trading Amazon for India. And, and we are trading Amazon for the investments they make in their business for the future, which have been proven to pay off. So you do the math. India is not something that bothers me. All right. Well, much more on Amazon throughout the hour as the conference call kicks off. Plus, the pot stock's blazing this year as M&A in the space lights up. The CEO of one of the best performing names, Canopy Growth, will be here to tell us what is next for his industry. Much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pot stocks on fire to kick off the year. Check out Kronos Group and Canopy Growth up, up more than 80% apiece, while Afria and Aurora Cannabis both gaining more than 30%. What reignited the cannabis craze? Well, one thing might be the farm bill, which would give CBD a major market boost. So let's bring in Canopy Growth founder Bruce Linton. He joins us now from the Tiger 21 conference in Florida, a meeting for ultra high net worth individuals. Bruce, great to see you again. Hey, nice to be in Florida. I know. I, we wish we were in Florida as well. <laughs> it's been a while, Bruce, since I spoke to you um, in Smith Falls, yeah. and, and since then a lot has, has happened. The farm bill has passed. You also got a, a legal hemp license in New York. So in terms of this new market yep. that's opened up here in the United States, how do you, how do you assess the opportunity here? What, what sort of total addressable market are you looking at? Yeah, so it, 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 you know, it's a big deal. And the reason it's a big deal is now we can actually lo- operate with a federally controlled program, which means we don't jeopardize, say, working with Bank of America, uh, all the things that we've been able to enjoy by being on New York Stock Exchange. And so what we're doing, and I think you'll see uh, a few states want it, is create a hemp park so that you can actually take the CBD, 
take the fiber, take the protein, and use all of the pieces so that you now kind of have this very low-cost ingredient. And what we focus on is how do we turn that into outcomes people want to pay for. And an outcome could be that perhaps your dog uh, has managed anxiety or your sports recovery drink is better or, or, or. And that science is something we've been working on for a few years. How do you uh, think about the opportunity in CBD versus the opportunity in THC products, whether it be medicinal or recreational? <laughs> yeah, you know, just so everybody's on the same page, CBD is really going to be associated primarily with, you know, um, think of it as uh, uh, anti, you know, spasmatic, no shaking, uh, diminished anxiety. And THC, when activated, it should really be thought of as sort of the psychoactive, the could be a competitor to uh, opioids or alcohol. Um, so CBD is a great first step. Much of the equipment in science will lead to capacities that would include THC. Um, it's one of those things that uh, I think, um, you know, you need to have a scale and a start, and CBD from hemp does that. And over time, if it's permissible to change the feedstock to marijuana, it's a pretty rapid transition into the, uh, the full spectrum of cannabinoids. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to venture to ask the same question again, Bruce. When you, when you think about the opportunities, though, five years down the line, and you think about where your company's getting revenues from, would it be from products involving THC, the psychoactive part of the plant, or CBD, yep. the more wellness side of things, and maybe the phar- pharmaceutical side of things? Yeah, so on a global basis, I think you'll see that THC is an active ingredient in probably uh, 90 85% of our total global revenues. Uh, ex-US. Mm-hmm. And US, it's going to be a function of when and if state rights occur. Uh, so 100% of our opportunity right now is CBD. And I think in the US, it's a many tens of billion dollar opportunity. And it's going to be coming down to great products with great brands. And we think with what we do with Constellation and what we do with science, we have a pretty good shot at that. Uh, is there any uh, risk? I mean, I understand that the, the farm bill, uh, now that it's passed the Farm Act, um, has really opened the doors. But at the same time, is there any sort of regulatory risk when it comes to the FDA, which has been a little bit fuzzy in its stance when it comes to CBD as a, a health, as a supplement or as an ingredient, any sort of health supplement? Yeah, I think actually the FDA is going to be uh, very active and useful, right? Because there are all kinds of uh, claims out there that are, you know, things you can make up and nobody validated. So because it became federally legal, that invokes an FDA perspective, and we want to make sure that we provide the FDA with the evidence before we make claims. And so uh, I suspect what you're going to see is a sector in an industry that cleans up. And when it cleans up, that means the consumer actually gets what they paid for. And overall, I suspect that's a much better outcome for both companies like Canopy and uh, you know, the patients or the customers. Hey, Bruce, it's Tim Seymour. Um, to, to move away from hemp and just to ask hey, you Tim. about your, co- your, your core business and to oversimplify the investment buckets, are you more focused now on kind of the bricks and mortar, whether that's cultivation, more licenses, uh, more retail locations uh, in your global footprint, or is it more on the high value added, the science, uh, the technology, the, the infrastructure that's at least related to logistics and the sophistication in your business? Because that's what I see happening very fast in this space with big, sophisticated companies like yours. Yeah, so what you want to be able to do is transmit around the planet all your intellectual property, which means you have to do it wherever you can. And so we got activities for IP development to go from Canada to Chile to parts of Europe. And then what you need is a supply chain in each of those countries so that what you intellectually property have defined, you can actually deliver, which means you take these great ideas, you protect them, you codify them, and then in a bunch of geographies, you actually have to create the asset base so that you can produce the ingredients. Over time, all of our focus and yield will come from 
uh, the outcomes we create, whether it's medical or rec and, and the IP around that. But you can see where you sort of juggle back and forth between great idea, great invention, great protection, and now we've got to go grow some plants. And that, that program repeats country by country because of the UN and a bunch of conditions. When it comes to Canada, we're actually at the stage now where we think we can actually begin to isolate and show what a good business looks like in that kind of country, and then back out all the extra spends that you do to globalize. And uh, I think investors will say, keep going. Don't give us a dividend. Give us growth. All right, Bruce, great to see you. Hopefully we'll see you when you report earnings in a couple of weeks. Bruce Linton of Canopy you Growth bet. joining us from Boca. It's a better trade than uh, Ottawa, that's yeah, want, for sure. Um, I asked that question about the FDA because that was mentioned specifically in a Canaccord genuity note on this space that, you know, hemp is a great opportunity, but the fact that the FDA is fairly oh, yeah. silent on it, it raises some concerns. The minute, Tim, that you have to slap any sort of warning labels on things or that, that companies have to do much more testing to prove claims, I would imagine that that depresses the valuation of a stock, at least initially. It definitely does. Look, and, and Canopy got about a 10% boost to their market cap on that announcement of the New York industrial uh, hemp facility that they're going to create and the processing attached to it. And good for them. It gives them a federal national footprint to have <coughs> a space in the United States of America. Um, I think if you also want to look at the market overall, you're going to actually see more hemp plays rushing ahead to the NASDAQ and to the New York Stock Exchange because of this. It's become a very interesting part uh, of the approach to the industry without, without question. I'm wondering, does the warning really matter? I get the delay. That, what, does why the that warning one, matter? Does a warning matter? Why? Does a war- I mean, did, did a warning impact sales of cigarettes? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So mad men. Right? Even though people knew about the effects of, of cigarettes and right? cancer, right? putting that warning label and federally mandating a warning label on all packages of cigarettes put a dent in the sales. That was the, that was the beginning of a decline in volume. The bigger issue is the FDA doesn't know how to handle the products yet. It's legal. You can right. transport it everywhere, but right. the product itself in a bottle, whatever it's in, with whatever warning, still is not Doesn't clear. alcohol have warning labels on it? Pregnant women shouldn't dream, you know, things like that. I don't know that it's made any difference. I don't yeah, know. Alcohol, yeah, that, that's true. You mentioned the market for pets, I believe. Yeah. We're trying to get to that. Oh, you don't want to get flip any. No, and I'm not advocating. I don't puff the magic dragon, nor should your pets. But we actually are crack staff at Englewood Cliffs. If you want to just sort of check this out, look what they did. Aww. Oh, Aww. that's my puff. That's, look at that. That's, that's Dodgers. Dodgers. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's Aww. Karen. That's not no, my puff. That's the first that's, one. That's, that's, me uh, and, that's me and the flipster there. So are, are the dogs experiencing? No. There's there's, there's Are you Russell. telling me that dog was high when he was playing basketball? They, no, if they're they anxious, <laughs> CBD has... They seem calm. You know, they seem very calm uh, and uh, happy. Anyway, That's still ahead. Amazon, lower despite the earnings beat. The company conference call is underway right now. We'll bring <laughs> you the latest from the C-suite. Plus, bone-chilling weather slamming the country this week. But a number of cold-weather stocks are heating up. We'll tell you which ones you can buy when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out those wind chill temperatures around the country today. This is the kind of deep freeze you dread waking up to knowing you have to get to work. But it's not all doom and gloom. If you are invested in a cold weather stock, your returns could be about to heat up. So let's go around the horn. 
Um, and in, in honor of this segment, Tim is sporting his vest. Yeah, it's, it's chilly out, folks. So we had to get a little uh, extra fleece on here tonight. Um, we like to wear vests. That's what we do. Um, Home Depot. Look, I'm going to go there for weather stripping. I'm going to go there for that stuff that my wife makes me put on the windows and then the, the plastic and the hair oh, dryer. Oh, and then you hear it and sucks and, it. Oof, yeah. yeah okay. it's, uh, it's great. It's really nice. Bottom line is Home Depot, whether it's a hurricane or it's spring cleaning, you're out there, you're at Home Depot. There's four seasons to be there. But Dear Nicole, Duraflame Logs, I'm there. Karen. Duraflame. Uh, I don't want to leave the apartment like millions of others. Grubhub. I, you know, I can't get that comfortable with the valuation. It's really expensive, but that is a great asset light business that just they're going to be raking it in in New York City, no question. <laughs> All yeah. over. Let me tell you what I can get comfortable with. The, the uh, High West Whiskey, you know, the Constellation <laughs> brands. Uh, Maybe Canopy Grove. you're comfortable with that in any weather, day. Well, I was going to say, uh, not, not when it's hot. Then I go to the Modelo because they own that, too. So Constellation Blends, that's the one it's for me. It's all weather nice. friends. It's got right. an absolute And you've got some Canopy in and there. And, you got, and, like and you. we just heard Linton just mention it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Remember a few years ago, you and I went to the Short Hills Mall. Oh, yeah. We drove a Tesla. You know what's in the, Remember, it was fun. Cake fun, factory, fun, fun, fun. for you. That was cutie, guys. It was. You're a little jelly, aren't you? Well, you know what's there now? A Canada goose shop. Oh. And if you recall, I actually went out goose hunting a while back. But I will tell you, there are people lining up to get those suckers. See, look, that's my goose hunting. Isn't that called Canadian goose? No. No, it's not. You want to say Canadian goose. It's Canada goose. Anyway. With that said, valuation is ridiculous, but their margins continue to improve. Their inventory seemed to be under control. Stock went from 70 to 40 in a straight line in December. They're going to get a bounce here in uh, G-O-O-S. All right, coming up, look at Amazon, down almost 3% right now. We'll tell you what was just said on the conference call that sent the stock lower. Plus, let's get a check on our Kramer cam. And there's Jim talking to Senator Elizabeth Warren about Wells Fargo. You can catch that interview at the top of the hour, live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast. Amazon CFO Brian Oslovsky speaking on the company's earnings call moments ago. The stock is lower after hours. Let's get to Deidre Bosa. Deidre. Hey, Melissa. Well, India, Amazon's India businesses, new challenges there. They were a focus at the start of the call. New government regulations. These would curb practices like steep discounts that have helped Amazon dominate the U.S. market. CFO Brian Olsavsky pointed to that uncertainty as the reason Q1 guidance was below expectations and says they're evaluating the situation. We remain committed to complying with all laws and regulations, and we will, uh, but we're evaluating the situation. Our main issue and our main concern is trying to minimize the impact to our customers and sellers in India. We've built our business around price selection and convenience. Uh, we don't think the changes uh, help in those dimensions for both the customers in India and also the sellers. Now, over the last few minutes, the focus has really been on growth margins, and that could be what's bringing shares down further, now down about 2 point, almost 3%. Osalski acknowledged that growth margins were not up as much as prior quarters. He first identified positive tailwinds like AWS, third-party units. He said advertising dollars continue to grow very well. Headwinds, he says, though, include outbound shipping costs. That is the greater use of Amazon Logistics, its own shipping unit. For the year ahead, it could be hard to grow margins because Osalski says the 2018 margins, they benefited from investments in warehouse expansion in 2016 and 2017. Melissa? All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa in San Francisco. Let's get back to Gene. So, uh, Gene, how do you grade the quarter? 
You know, Melissa, I'm actually going to lower my grade from a oh. B to a B minus. Oh. And Deirdre Ooh. really hit it at the uh, at the end there. Her last <laughs> comment, and specifically, is that keep in mind for 2016 and 17, Amazon was growing investments in their warehouses by 30% year over year. Sales were only growing at 20%. 2018, they benefited from that because they, they basically had built this infrastructure that had a positive impact on margins. And so this comment is what we called the lowering of the grade that really to expect a more muted margin expansion in uh, this year. And that's obviously a key part of the story. And I would say the scoreboard is broke when it comes to Amazon. Amazon has $3 billion in operating income. That's one-sixth of what Apple is, uh, yet Amazon has a bigger market cap. And so I had to uh, factor that into my grade. All right. Gene, thank you, as always, for your analysis. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Um, Can I ask so you a quick question? I'm sorry. Yes, I know. I know we got to go. So last night we established that a B in your house was B an plus, F. I thought, was it? And yeah. what would a B minus? A B minus. You're not eating. You're not an emotional home. person. <laughs> you're, not eating. you're not eating. You're not eating. You're not going out of the house. You're doing nothing but studying. Anyway, with Amazon, <laughs> what do we make of it, Dan? Uh, you know, I think it's fine. I mean, listen, sentiment has been so positive, right? And if you want to kind of talk about that 35% peak to trough move that it had over the last four months, um, you had a reset of sentiment. So the fact that the stock um, had some <coughs> issues in the quarter and the guidance, and it's only down a few percent, I think that's kind of okay. I'm not saying to buy it here, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's fine. Look, I, I think the gross margin is something that people should worry about. But, again, this is a company that's never been worried about that. They can be profitable when they want to. They are. Uh, it's down three and a quarter percent and dropping as we speak. Up next, final trades. This will be one of the biggest stories in the session tomorrow. Shares of Amazon now down by 3.8% in the after-hour session. I believe the conference call is still going on, um, so you get some updates there on CNBC.com, but it is down 4% right now. Final trade time, Tim. Yeah, my cold-weather stock is, is an all-season stock, and again, their investment into the professional services, why also Home Depot remains uh, well ahead of their peers, Home Depot. Chairwoman. Yes, I like FedEx on the heels of UPS today. FedEx announced earnings in December at the depths of the low. I think we'll see good things in March. Dan? I like uh, guys Canada Goose. Call. Oh, yeah. Six bucks. Canadian. It's Canada Goose, GW Pharma. <laughs> into next week's earnings nice. release, Melissa. Wow. That does it for us here on Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Mm.